Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. However, we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train today, though I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. And we are just talking to a fellow podcaster who does have a musical background. And so, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be on. Yeah, I always like to preface that when I'm working to get a guest, often someone will send a very polite yet timid email. I'm really not a Bruce fan. I don't know if this is a good fit. And I'm like, I do what I call B-side episodes where I have guests who are passionate about the Foo Fighters, Barbara Streisand, Alan Jackson, doesn't matter. The idea Uh is the theme that music is important to our lives and sharing how that helps. So anyway, I am thrilled you're here. You shared before we hit record, you've got a a daughter napping. So we're going to try to keep it quiet, but (laughs) tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm 41 years old. I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been here since 2016. I'm a native of the Bay Area of California, right next to Berkeley, Oakland. Musically speaking, my mom has informed me that from the time I was less than two years old, I would stand up in a crib and sing songs out loud. So I was always driven by music. And I was even went as far as to become a professional musician. And actually, what's interesting all these years later, because I quit playing professionally when I was about 28, is that I really, while I love playing music, and I still play all the time at home, I just love music. I just love hearing it, being a part of it. And so actually, you just mentioned my daughter. She's like really similar to me. And she like has started singing and she can sing full phrases without being able to talk full phrases. So I love watching her appreciate music. It's just such a, I think every kid I've ever met has liked music, but I'm not willing to risk my internet credibility with making such a bold statement out loud. But I think Almost every human innately is attracted to music. And then I always wonder what happens as some get older. Yeah, I do think it's funny when people will say, it's just not that big part of my life. And I'm like, okay, which is fine. I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts now that would have gone to music listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And so sometimes regret that. Oh, I really should be spending more time with music. But I really find podcasting and hearing people share their thoughts and this discussions pretty entertaining. So anyway. Start from the beginning, Mike. I always like to start. Where did you mentioned you grew up in the Bay Area? Where and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? That's a really good question. My family would play. My dad liked like pretty weird eclectic music, so he loved Queen and he loved the Rolling Stones, and he also loved Rod Stewart, which I thought was really lame growing up in the eighties and nineties. But now that I'm older, I actually have a huge appreciation for Rod Stewart, mm-hmm. especially Faces. And then my mom both of them shared a lot of the same records, but my mom was like first and foremost, a Beatles fan and especially George Mm -hmm. Harrison. And she made a point to teach me as a young kid before most kids know the difference between the Beatles songs. Like this is a Harrison song. This is a Lennon McCartney and that kind of stuff. All of that. Plus my dad really liked a lot of Billy Joel. And I remember like loving 
lyrics before I really liked anything else. So I remember really loving, even though now it's like the cheesiest cheese ball song ever. We didn't start the fire. I remember like vividly, this is back. I'm sure you had to do the same thing. You'd play a cassette, like you'd record the song from the radio and then you'd rewind and play the cassette and write the lyrics down. Cause there was no internet, no lyrics database. And I remember like constantly looking for like writing lyrics down and then memorizing how to sing songs. And I also love the beach boys. So that was my parents' influence. And then, uh, basically in 1991 i turned 10 or 11 i was 10 on the verge of 11 and it was the summer of like alternative rock nevermind by nirvana came out pearl jam 10 red hot chili peppers blood sugar sex magic all that stuff and that just blew my mind i had been like in the guns and roses and a couple other bands like that so the bruce springsteen connection actually is my dad did love bruce springsteen and he did play him for me as a child so i'll recognize songs sometimes I'm like, who is that? And then some, like, yeah. most people are huge Bruce Springsteen. They're like, obviously, that's the boss. <laughs> ah, that's good. When you started growing into your own, did you rebel against your parents' music, or did you just add to your range of fandom? I always added to it. I'm a really positive person, and I did have an adolescent like punk rock phase where I was like, screw the government, screw the man. And I'm probably still like that, to be honest. But musically, I never shunned anyone. I definitely didn't think it was cool to like Billy Joel when I was like a teenager. So I would like not go to high school wearing a Billy Joel shirt. But you know, I really have always just loved so much music. And even when I don't like music, I'm able to like, usually hear the melody, the structure, or like whatever it is that they're trying to resonate with me. And I'm just like, ah, I don't like that food. I don't like that song. So what about what what pushed you to explore music? Did you pick up a guitar, keyboards? What? How did you get into being in, as you said, two rock bands in your 20s? Yeah, actually, this is like one of my strongest and favorite memories is my grandmother who she died. She died of cancer, technically, but she had Alzheimer's. And the first five years I was alive, no one really knew she had Alzheimer's. So I remember her vividly as like a normal grandma. And she was very musically talented. And she had a piano in her house in Florida. And we'd go every summer to Florida to visit them for three or four weeks. And I remember just like sitting downstairs and like banging out notes and she would never stop me or say quiet or she'd always just let me do it. And then one day I realized that like, I was not, they were not enjoying the fake music I was playing, but it wasn't actually bad either. There was like this weird moment where I remember being like, Oh, I like understand what note goes to what. So then, uh, she sat me down and taught me like Yankee doodle and a couple other songs. And then I started begging my parents for piano and they said, I'll make this quicker because I realized it's going to take a while. But they said, we'll give you, we'll rent a piano. And if you practice and play, maybe we'll think about buying one. So we rented one and I hated practicing and I hated being instructed. So that changed and we got rid of that. Then I tried the saxophone that lasted about four months. And then when I heard Kurt Cobain and the song <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit, I like needed an electric guitar. I already loved Slash. He was like my idol. He's still my favorite guitarist to this day. So I got... I begged, begged, begged my parents for a guitar. I did everything I could come up with as a 10, 11 year old. And thank God my parents are nice. They did the same thing. They rented a guitar and an amp and they got me lessons and said, if it sticks. And this time my guitar teacher was like, God, I mean, I don't know how old he is now, but he was just like the coolest older guy, like just like always drinking coffee and like playing, like he could play anything. And he was so important to me as just, he taught me like, he was like, oh, you don't want to learn how to read music? And he just threw the book against the wall. He's like, what do you want to learn? I'm like, I want to learn uh, Sweet Child of Mine. I remember that was like the third song I ever learned on guitar. Yeah. So from there, it was pretty quick. And I was just loved guitar. I would play it for, I remember my fingers would bleed the first day I had it. I just, most guitarists say. Yeah. Wow. That is great. When did you 
go into that, okay, let's play with other people and make it to a band. I just a couple of months ago, my brother-in-law joined me and it was so much fun because he grew up like in, he's 10 years older than I am. So he went to high school in the sixties that, oh, wow. that garage band where, and, and it's very interesting because you hear Bruce talk a lot about this latest album letter to you is a lot about his first band and that experiences. And Ralph, we were in Louisiana. And so there was Lake Charles, Lafayette and Fort Polk. And just this, you do the CYOs, the Legion halls, the American league, VFWs, and just, there was a rotation of you playing uh band. So how about you? Is that similar to you guys? Yeah. So I was in, keep in mind, I was like 11 when I got a guitar. So I had like okay. these irrational fantasies of stardom. And the other thing sure. that didn't help is there was like a local band called Green Day that became like nationally famous when I was in eighth grade. And I was like, Oh, it's so easy. Like, yeah. This band that like I saw flyers for and people like see all the time is now on MTV. So I remember like thinking this is also good and bad. It's very good for children to believe that they can do anything. And then it can also be mortifying when you see how actually hard it is. So I started four bad bands that didn't work out in high school. And like one of my saddest memories of my life is my sophomore year. We did like battle of the bands and the band that I had quit got like a new singer. Cause I quit cause I hated the singer. And then they ended up like advancing and my new band didn't. And uh, I just remember like realizing, okay, the vocals matter so much more than the melodies and the songs. Because I thought I wrote really good songs. I still do. But I wasn't a lead singer at that point. I did become one later in life. But I'm not really a singer. I'm like, okay. I'm like a background vocalist in my opinions. So that was a big lesson. And then in college, I got really serious about playing music. So I just released a lot of solo albums. And I play solo shows. And like you said, like it was always in college, especially on college campuses. You just play like wherever someone will let you. And then as soon as college ended, I moved to Ithaca when I was 21 with two friends and the girlfriend of our friend. And we all started a band together. And that's when I became really professional and serious. Mm-hmm. And how long did your phase of making a living as a musician last? That that band only lasted three years, and it ended the way all like good but not destined to last bands did, which is just too much ego conflict. The worst recipe for a band is having two members dating each other. I would say for anyone out there, very the only band I can think of where it worked was the Talking Heads. I think that's well, like literally. And, the- so I one of my favorite podcasts is the the Story Song podcast, and they riff on they talked about just how weird must it have been in Fleetwood Mac, right? When they're going to record rumors, like you, here's a song we should do. Hey, this kind of sounds like me and you, right? Yeah. Yeah. We just need you to sing it. Just go for it. Yeah. 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 Bruce talks about that, that his first band was in high school and lasted three years. He said, which is an eternity in high school. That is hilarious. (laughs) When did you decide that you and maybe you see were you doing day gigs at the same time you were making music always did you have a day job yeah actually ironically i had a night job which doesn't work too well so i was a bartender and i was also managing a bar and actually i got promoted to management because they wanted me to and normally that's like too many hours but ironically managers only work the day shifts where i got hired so I went from working nights to day, which actually helped. And no, I not only did I never have the self-confidence to quit the day job, but like the two of the members of the band would never have done that. And me and another one would have. And so like that in itself would have created so much conflict. So when I moved to Portland, Oregon, after the band broke up, I left Ithaca. And that's when someone older, wiser, and much better 
at leading a band, started like this surf rock cover band with some originals. And so he took me on to play lead guitar and he would play rhythm. And then eventually he went more to lead and I would be rhythm, which was actually much more comfortable for me. And then I would sing sometimes. And that band, we monetized it pretty damn well. And if we had left Portland and done like a bigger circuit, we could have. But all of us in the band, most of us, worked at the restaurant that the leader of the band owned and operated. Right. And it was like, when I say restaurant, I mean like the whole of all holes in the wall in Portland, Oregon. It's the sure. best place ever, but a staff of four and three of us are in a band together. So we would just shut the restaurant down and play gigs whenever we felt like it. We would play gigs in the restaurant. Um, and we did a huge Portland festival once with a really big audience. And that was, for me, that was like the, I quit pretty shortly after that because I was in a car accident. It was actually unrelated, but I'll never forget that. I was so happy that I was able to play in front of a huge crowd and I wasn't nervous and I didn't screw up. And I just remember thinking, okay, You've never screwed up on stage ever. And every step of the way, you kept thinking, someday I'll screw up on the bigger stages. And so I knew from that moment on that if and when I ever made it, I would never have a problem. That there's just some weird thing that kicks in when you're in front of an audience and you feel their support. It's really important to mention. If you feel an audience's support, it's almost impossible to mess up, which is cool. I do think there that that energy happens And then afterwards, from my perspective, I run a contact center and I've done business presentations on and off for the last 20 years. And you're nervous beforehand. You go there, you make your talk, you do your presentation. And then like afterwards, you're, I'll get home and my teenage son at the time, like, why is dad so tired? And Linda's, he just spent four, (laughs) he just spent three hours on stage. He, and so he needs to wind down. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So you mentioned in your bio, you a very diverse background, a lot of two master degrees. What talk to me about, okay, you, you've gotten out of the music business. Did you, and maybe you still haven't decided what you want to be when you grow up, but I know yeah. I haven't, but when you made that decision, what was next in your, what was the next in your life? Yeah, they converged accidentally, but it was awesome, which is I started as the surf rock band was fizzling out. And again, I got injured. 
So someone had to substitute for me. And the moment I got injured, I felt like relief. I was like, oh, I don't have to like practice and play and all that. And so I realized I, mean, I just don't love stage performance. I'm not like, I always try to preface this. I like attention just as much as any attention star person does. We're all the same. There's no different. Anyone hosting a podcast, doing a podcast, like we're all similar. And I don't mean it in a negative way. We just, we feed off and like that. So it's not that I don't like attention. It's that I don't like being on a stage and getting attention that way. And so I thought back and I talked to my parents and they said, when you were a kid, you what you always liked was writing songs and writing stories. And so I thought about it and I entered this three-day novel contest and I didn't win it, but I got like, a really high accolade for it. And I loved what I did. So I applied for an MFA degree, which is a master of fine arts, specifically in creative writing fiction. And I got into a couple schools. I chose one in the Bay area because I wanted to go back there. My parents were gone. I just wanted to live where I grew up without my parents. I thought that'd be fun. And it was awesome. So I started uh, teaching and I became a professional writer in 2006. And now I'm a professional writer. If I may, I'll plug my website, mikeyoff.com. Yes. And uh, yeah, right. Weekly essays. I also have, I've released four novels. I have a fifth one coming out on March 23rd. And then I have a sixth one finished that I'm shopping and a seventh one I'm about to finish. So I love writing. I also podcast, as you said, but my main favorite thing in the world to do is be alone writing and then stop writing and go back and be with my family. Like that, that weird, like transference. And as you mentioned, when you're giving like those, the presentations, there's just this thing when like the muse strikes you and you're just in the moment that I think all humans are actually looking for the Ram Dass be here now. What is be here now? It just means not even be thinking about being here. And like you're sitting there watching Bruce on his tour. You're being there now. You know what I mean? Like we're yes. all looking for that. So for me, writing does that and playing guitar does it, but playing on stage doesn't do it the same way. So that would be how I'd explain. So yeah. So I, shifted to writing and I love it. I've never looked back and I'm definitely a professional writer. I also work in publishing, which is awesome. So I have two streams. Yeah. So what, what is the novel that's coming out the, about? Um, yeah. The name of it. Sure. The name is Ardor, A-R-D-O-R. And that's the fictional name of a fictional kid who finds out when he's about 18 or 19 that he's psychic. And then he doesn't like it at all. It's very like weird. So that he finds out because his girlfriend is hanging out with him in his bedroom after school. And all of a sudden these names of people she's had an affair with start popping into his mind and he has details and knowledge of it. And she punches him in the face because he accuses her of cheating, storms out of the house. And then the kind of the novel goes from there. And he finds out he gets a job at a local mall working for a quote unquote psychic, like a fake psychic. But it turns out she's real and she can tell he's real. And it creates major conflict and the novel goes from there. Oh yeah. And where's it going to be available from? I, my publisher, I think they said it'll be on every major like shelf, Barnes and Noble okay. in stores and all that. But, um, okay. I don't know about Amazon for some reason. And I forgot to ask. So okay. they're, uh, they're located in the UK. So contacting them is always by email and like a delay, yeah. but it's okay. coming out. We're recording this on March 8th and it's coming out yeah. on the 23rd. So unfortunately, I don't know exactly, but my guess is it'll be on Amazon. And if you Google my name or go to my okay. site, of course, there'll be a big ad. So what I'll do is I'll put this out. I'll make a note to put this on the 23rd. So oh, cool. as you're listening to this, listeners, the book will be available. And uh, behind the scenes, Mike will send me the link to where yeah. I can put in the notes to go pick up the book. So that's good. Sure, Why fiction you. instead of nonfiction? So the weekly essays I do are nonfiction and I've okay. done those since 2006. I have missed, there was a period in 2009, 2010 where I missed a couple of weeks, but otherwise I've never missed a week pretty much since 2006. And those are always nonfiction. 
And there it's called the casual casuist, which is casuism is when you like associate correlation, but it's not usually like correct. So I call it the casual casuist because the joke is I'm just trying to like correlate details from my life and my experiences and make them make sense. But uh, so I love doing that. But fiction is just my favorite thing. I love the movie. I was a film major in college as well as an English major. And I love just the art of storytelling. I just love it so much. And I will say that a lot of this is just also in reality, like the Bruce Springsteen story is a story in itself and there's apocryphal moments and then real ones. Like, actually, I wanted to ask you, I was listening to a podcast because like you, I listen to a lot and someone mentioned that there's this famous show that Bruce played in England that influenced like Prince and all these other people to go solo, actually, that they saw him on stage. I I think like Peter Gabriel's might have been another one. I don't know. Does any of this ring a bell to you? That does not. I do know that when Bruce was touring with the Amnesty Tour, he spent a lot of time with Sting. And Sting talked a lot about breaking up with the police and going solo. And right afterwards, Bruce did break up with the Eastry band. So that might be what I was, that, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's an interesting, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that is, I, one of my favorite films is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Which the premise is, right, you sometimes, you print the legend, not the facts, yeah. right? And so I do think in a lot of times in popular culture, it the story sounds better than the facts. And so therefore, we go to the story. I like the idea that you are using both muscles, that on your weekly website, you're doing essays to stretch that nonfiction muscle. And then on your fiction muscles as novels that it almost pictures like with a workout, right? Like I'm doing, I got to work my abs this time. And now I'm going to work my, now I've got to work my core and now I'm going to work with my legs. So I think, does that keep you fresh? Yeah, it really does. And then adding podcasting in really helps. It's weird. My mom always used to say, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. And yeah. uh, it, I think it's just absurdly true. It's cruel too, because it ties into capitalism and all sorts of weird things that we're all like, I don't want to say victims of, because I'm not trying to ransack or attack any economic plan. I just sure. more see the deeper connection and psychologically that a lot of us who do a lot are doing it because we want to, we're just compelled. And yeah, I think exercising all those muscles brings me like a sense of peace. And I think the hardest thing in the modern era, because like you, I grew up before all this stuff. One, more people can access me than ever before. But two, like the conflicting feelings of like how social media responds to what you do versus how people actually do. Like back when I used to just release albums and never hear from people, I never had a vague or accurate concept of how successful I was. And now sometimes I fall into that trap that I hear people who I admire that are way above me in the success ladder of all this saying, oh, I didn't get enough like likes on Instagram or enough of this. And like, I start to see how it's a hedonistic treadmill. There's really no way out of it. So that would be the one thing I would say about like exercising those muscles is if anyone out there is listening, you just got to exercise them because you want to be healthy. It has nothing to do with whether people like it or not. Yeah, I um. So there was a brand new Springsteen podcast that came out just recently, a bunch of guys from the UK and they were thrilled and they were they were very happy they had hit a number on their downloads and I had them on my podcast to promote them and everything. And 
candidly, the number they mentioned is not one I always hit, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and spent just a couple minutes feeling sorry for myself. Yeah, and then totally. is that, um, I do this because I have fun talking to the person. I enjoy this and this is my hobby instead of playing golf or necessarily doing other things. Talking to people for the podcast and get, tearing their stories means a lot to me. Yes. Not that I don't love downloads and don't love <laughs> yeah, iTunes yeah. reviews. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah. So the podcast is like really out there. I have a sad blip of the story of my life that I will and can get into if you want, but it's very like depressing for people. But uh, I have a son, he's seven years old and he lives in Thailand with his mom. And it was absolutely not my choice or was I given any choice in the fact that he lives there. So I'll just leave it at that. We can talk about it if you want. Again, I'm an open book. No, I get you. Yeah, things. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So when he was taken and he was there, this is after a divorce, I was just shaken to the bone. And I don't I don't, it's weird when things test you, you find out like what works and what doesn't. So I remember thinking, okay, so this is how I'll descend into like drug and alcohol abuse, like all these rock stars I like, but I didn't like for some reason, instead I was compelled to do something different. So I became a hospice volunteer and I started volunteering at a hospice ward for patients with dementia. And I picked that because my grandmother had Alzheimer's and I thought I at least have like a childhood memory of dealing with someone who's old bragging about pooping in a toilet. This isn't going to be a shock for me at all. And I was, that was accurate. It was not shocking. And I really took to it. But the one thing I learned over and over again was that people who had ignored death their whole life seemed to suffer a lot more at the end than those who had like at least contemplated and just reconciled it. So it has nothing to do with like your actual health. It just has to do with, are you not preoccupied and worried about dying, but are you just aware that no matter who you are, it will end? And you don't want to be shocked, whether that's at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. It doesn't matter. And keep in mind, at a hospice ward, you don't have to be 70 or 80. Some of these right, people were exactly. like tragically young. One thing I will say that I learned that's pretty scary is like the rate of dementia related to alcoholism is ex- extremely high. So if people mm. want like an incentive to like lower that, just think of your future, future life. And I'm not trying to down anyone from like drinking. No, I'm no, just saying, I understand what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And so I did the, hos- the hospice thing and then... My wife and I were like, wanted to start a podcast and she said, you should just interview people about death because you're like natural about it. You talk about it all the time and you have all these experiences. So I created Coffin Talk, which is a podcast where we talk about death. And almost invariably, when I meet someone as cool and interesting as you, I beg them to come on the podcast. So I have a feeling, if you're willing to, that we'll be talking again. Um, yes, I would love that. Yes. All right, perfect. <laughs> because I am a podcast, I don't want to use a derogatory term, but yes, <laughs> I, 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 and there's something wonderful about being a guest on a podcast. Not that I do a lot of homework, but I do, We I work out the schedule. I, I make sure that they know in advance. I'm going to ask the Mary question. I give agenda. I go back and forth. By the way, you had very nice words about how professional I seemed. So yes. that made oh my me God. smile. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there is something beautiful about being a guest that just, yeah, what do you need me to do? Just show up and tell stories, Jesse. I can do that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. So have you listened to Bruce's latest album, Letter to You? No, I definitely have not. And actually, you're more than anyone else compelling me to give him a third chance at this point in my life because the first time I didn't give him a chance it was just oh it's my dad's music who cares and then the second time I don't know if I was just in a bad mood or what was going on in my life but a friend who I really liked gave me a burn cd with like her favorite 18 songs and I want to be really honest with you and your fans 
I didn't like not like it. I just yeah. wasn't wowed. Nothing yeah. like, sure. yeah. And so I would love specifically from you a recommendation not only of an access album into his music because obviously yes. like born in the usa like i can sing along sure. with it i'm also speaking of like my political opinions like sums up a lot of my attitude about yeah and respect for bruce Springsteen is like infinitely high like he does a podcast with obama he's just obviously a cool guy like like yeah. obviously he really is actually an authentically interesting guy but that's yeah. not enough to make me listen so yes i will try the new album for sure but so, why did you yeah so so he tells the story that George Cease was the guy who invited him to be in his first band and they were in the Castiles and it lasted three years in high school and they broke up. So a few years ago, he was at George's bedside and his George was dying of lung cancer. And after he passed, Bruce realized that every member of that high school band had now passed and he was the only one left. He was the last man standing. And so there is a special on Apple TV about the making of the album, which is in black and white. It's beautiful if you have that. But the album is all about death and endings and beginnings. Like there is Last Man Standing and he and I had a lady who does and she does a she talks about, she does a podcast in the UK, but it's mostly about grief of non, non-white people to be oh, like from definitely. Yeah, yeah. And that's so I, cause she said there, there's not a lot about the different other either Muslims or other religions. And I sent her, I said, Hey, you should listen to this. And two weeks later she came back. She goes, Oh my God, this album is all about grief. And, wow. uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll real quick, the last song in the album is I'll see you in my dreams. And it says, I'll see you in my dreams where all the summers have come to an end. I'll see you in my dreams. We'll meet and live and love again. I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah. Up around the river bend for death is not the end. I'll see you in my dreams. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd love for you to listen to it. And then just from your perspective of someone who does death talk, which by the way is what my mom, my, my son would say, boy, grandma was really into the death talk today. <laughs> and so according to my theory, she's going to pass very well. Like, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that is great. Do you, it, do, is it just a general terms about thoughts? Tell me a little bit what the pot, cause I'll have to check yeah. it out. I'm, I like to prepare as well. So I, we do, you'll see, cause I'm going to ask you questions stuff, yes, but I right. don't prepare questions. That's the one thing I don't do because we have two fixed questions. And the very first one is always the same, which is how old are you? Where are you from? And what generation do you consider yourself from? If any. And I do that because I don't believe we're in a culture war, but I believe the media is trying to shove it down our throats that we're in a culture war. So by asking people about generation, like every person invariably says, people call me this, but yes. I like everyone. And so I'm doing that as like a just personal mission to cut through the bullshit. And then the other question that I will ask, but I don't know when is what do you think happens when you die? And then usually I'll append a second question to it if it like applies. So if someone had a near death experience who I'm interviewing, I'll be like, and did that change after the near death experience? Or what do you think happens when you die? And how does that affect your ability to help people who are calling you about suicide to a therapist, like things like that. And, uh, And the purpose of it is that I'm actually trying to trace in reverse and like after that question, 
how our opinion of what happens when we die affects the way we live our life. So I'm trying to see how I think most people don't even know what metaphysics technically means. And I think most people hear it and roll their eyes. But metaphysics is like the physics beyond our physics, the bigger physics. So I'm fascinated by it. I'm just like, look, I have a brain and consciousness and I can think and I see you and I hear you, but I also can feel you like you have good energy. I have good energy. We're both having a pleasant conversation. I have yet to have this happen, but for all I know, I could have connected with you today and we didn't connect and the energy wouldn't be there. And so what I'm learning through the show is that energy is the one thing everyone seems to agree on. Even if they're atheists, even if they're super, super religious, there's this just understanding that there's a thing we can't measure with science nor define, but we all feel it. And so I have a hunch that's really related to what happens. But the purpose of the podcast is like really just my way of helping myself calm down. Because like I said, I started, I started during COVID, but like towards the, I live in Arizona. COVID doesn't exist here. I should just say that on the podcast. I'm from Berkeley, San Francisco. So trust me, I know COVID exists. Like I'm, but where I live, like the second we were allowed to just not obey the COVID rhetoric, we stopped and it was insane. And it was hard to watch because I was like, had friends from home really angry. And then I have friends from like college who are more like conservative and everyone had a different opinion. And that anger was hard for me. So I was like, I know let's unite everyone through death. Like oddly enough, it's there we the go. one shared experience. Yeah. So I live in Texas, so oh, I'm cool. <laughs> very much aware of that. It was funny. So I'm fully vaccinated, fully boosted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went to Bruce was in, was doing three stops in Texas plus Tulsa, Oklahoma, and which is all within driving distance. So Friday night, saw him in Dallas. Tuesday night, saw him in Houston. Thursday, saw him in Austin. I came back home. Friday night, I didn't feel very good. And then Saturday morning, I felt really bad, tested, positive for COVID. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, three can three concerts, no masks, because I wasn't wearing a mask, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Two people in front of me were in Austin, and I don't judge. I, I I ended up missing Tulsa. I didn't get to go, but it is it is a it was funny how political this came, which is unfortunate. And so, yeah, I believe November 30th, Bruce is going to be in Phoenix and I'm trying to convince my boss because we have a office in Havasu, Arizona. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I could spend a week in Havasu (laughs) and just around that time I could see Bruce in Phoenix. Yeah. So very cool. That is very cool. So we, I both talk about that. We probably should be listening to more music instead mm-hmm. of podcasts. But if you are listening to music, what are you listening to? We just had, so again, I'm 41 and this is going to, my age is really going to show in this answer. They just had this thing in Phoenix called the innings festival, which is for spring break people. And I yeah. guess the baseball demographic pretty much like cuts off right after me. I love baseball. I don't okay. know like a single person in their thirties or twenties who loves baseball. It seems like right. the majors are just screwed. So they, the, to headline the festival, they got Green Day and then they got Weezer right before them and the Counting Crows and like Offspring, all these bands that I grew up like loving. So my wife and I just went. So I've been listening to Green Day on repeat, like a teenager for a week now. That is awesome. Um, yeah. And it's fun. And I'm sure you, you identify with this, whatever music you came of age during, it just takes you right back. And it's just so it fun does. to like sing along. So I've been in like a pattern of that, but what the coolest thing that ever happened to me, unless you ask my friends was, Last year, I got into jazz and I had never even tried it. I wasn't even like anti-jazz. I just never 
ever had considered it as a genre that someone like me would like. And I think that just comes from like never knowing anyone who liked it except three people who were so pretentious that I was just like, I'm never joining. Yeah. They're berets on. You yeah. Know, yeah. With, with yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and so I got into jazz and I just absolutely love it. It's so cliche, but Miles Davis is just one of the greatest humans to ever play music and like yeah. to compose music too. Yeah, so that would great. be the other thing I've been into lately. Good. So I'll send you this in an email, but one of the things that Bruce does on this tour is there's a song Kitty's Back that I'm not a big fan of, but he does it and it almost feels like you're at a jazz club because it lasts Whoa. about eight or nine minutes and every instrument has its own solo. And someone Whoa. brought up the fact that because he's doing a two hour and 45 minute show, this gives him a break, right? Like <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have to play the guitar. He doesn't have to sing. He just has to stand there and point to all the different music. So I'll send you a link to a live recording of it so you can tell me how you feel. That is great. You talked can about- Can I ask you a quick question? Real you quick? can ask me anything you want. It just occurred to me, and I think it's fun to ask. So like I said, I have a seven-year-old, and we do yeah. have limited contact. So I know him, and I was with him every yeah. day until he was two. And then I have this young daughter- Neither of them are the same age as your teenage son you mentioned. Does your teenage son like hate Bruce Springsteen because you love him so much or does he like him? He is now grown. My son okay. is now, he's 34. Oh, and, okay. Even yeah, better. So, I'm yeah, even yeah, more- <laughs> yeah. So he and my lovely bride had made fun of the beach bags because <laughs> I was a huge Brian Wilson fan. Yeah, he went through a spell love where loved Metallica. He went to school in East Texas. So he really was embraced country music. And so in 2016, Bruce was touring and he was up in Oklahoma City and Chris said, I will go with you (laughs) just for a dad and son. Yeah. Had no interest in the concert. (laughs) Just we're going to go. You went to me with you took me with WrestleMania when I was 10. (laughs) I'm going to go with you. So we went and at the end of the show, I said, hey, do you want to go get something to drink or and he's, no, I think I just want to go back to the hotel. I'm like, okay. And then the next morning, we're driving back to Dallas. And he is, and in fact, it's on my podcast where I hit record and we talked about it. He goes, Bruce doesn't play, does he? I'm like, what do you mean? He says, he finishes one song and immediately starts the next. There is no pause. Like, you have to really know what you're doing to play with him. And wow. he, and then he went to a second show with me and now then, and then he watched Bruce on Broadway with me on Netflix and fell in love with gr- growing up, the song growing up. So he's now not quite as obsessed as I am, but he has a healthy respect for Bruce. And he was very disappointed. He went to Dallas with me. And then he was disappointed we didn't go to Tulsa, but he's going to go. Yeah. He, yeah. So he ended up going that I was similar to you. I grew up with parents that loved both kinds of music, country and Western. And I never rebelled against that. I just, I embraced the fact that Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Hank Williams and all these Loretta Lynn are all these amazing artists. Yeah. But yeah. So that's where he is. My wife, on the other hand, What's up with it? I don't, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll go, Hey, Linda, do you want to know, hear something? Is it about Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> Never mind. So I don't know if your wife goes, is it about death? 
<laughs> they go, okay, no, I don't want, never mind. Yeah, no, we definitely, we've been married long enough to have exactly that. So <laughs> yes, someone told me, um, I don't remember which comedian, but some comedian had the joke that, oh, I heard about that. It was on the Who Gives an F magazine. <laughs> uh, and so we now say, she'll say, do you want to hear what's on Who Gives an F magazine? I go, sure. <laughs> and that is our shortcut to say, I'm going to tell you something you have no interest in hearing, but I need to tell you this. Yeah. So be patient. And every once in a while, we'll go, no, I don't think that was on Who Gives an F magazine. I think that's actually pretty interesting. I'm glad you shared it. So that's good. Yeah. So, Mike, I always like to ask this. Is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Wow, that is such a creative, cool question. I've never thought to ask that, and I've never been asked that. That's awesome. And just while you're thinking, I had a guy once yeah. who was on the podcast, and it was you talked about sometimes you don't have chemistry, and it was it was a fine podcast, and we quit recording, and he said, "Thank you, that was great." I go, "Oh no, I really appreciate it." He goes, "Next time I'm on, I should tell you when I got drunk with the E Street Band." Oh my god. <laughs> You, you realize this is an East Street, this is a Springsteen podcast. And I was so depressed, I didn't even think about hitting record again. So that's where that question came from. <laughs> really yeah. cool. Yes. Yeah. You actually did ask like every question that's relevant to music and the podcast. I think the only part of my life that I didn't open up about as much would just be how I've visited like 30 countries and been to every state in America. And I am really all about like encouraging people to try to like, sub not suppress sublimate i don't know try to work on your ego like all of yeah. us there's just like this kind of like thing that's what my nonfiction essays are a lot about they're very positive and they're very like snarky and funny and stuff but they're not mean and that's something that i like cut out about 10 15 years ago i still love to watch south park so don't get me wrong like mean humor can work but uh, there, there's like a meanness in the world that has probably always existed but i think all of us with the internet and our ability to be nice we really could be changing it. It's a weird answer. It's not that you should have asked me about it, but I'm surprised that didn't come up in the course of an interview. I'm usually pretty yeah. loud about that. And I'm glad you did. I, you will hear that when I, for the longest time, I ended the podcast with go get vaccinated, go get boosted, remember to wash your hands. I, during the COVID, I had this. Mm -hmm. And over the past months, I've gone through be kind. Let's yeah. be kind to each other. Let's be safe and let's be kind. And I do think there is, you touched on this a little bit. There is a meanness in social media that people do not think, in my opinion, they just make statements. They can be very judgmental. And, and I'm bad. I will tell you that when I see some things, some from certain political sides, yeah, it's hard. You know, it is hard not to be angry. It is, I make the joke, it is very hard to be a blueberry in a very strawberry state. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. I feel and, you loud and clear on that. Um, yes. Yes. You're like, really? You actually don't realize you lost the governorship? It's very <laughs> clear. But anyway. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you a chance to plug your stuff again. But before we do that, if you are a fan of Mike's and you're checking this out, I end every podcast with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong, who was a honors English teacher, recently retired, would, when he was teaching high school English, he would take the song Thunder Road, break it apart, look at the lyrics, talk about the themes, would discuss this with his students. And at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Mike, that is your question. 
does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder? Uh, no, she does not. Okay. You want to explain why? Yeah, because he doth protest too much. Okay. It's too many repetitions of come on, get in, take my hand. And that's why I wanted to review it is it doesn't end indicatively, but I feel like the refrain is where I'm getting that from, that the refrain is a lament and it's, this was my plea. And it's not about she made the right or wrong decision. It's just, no, I don't think she did. I think that if she did, the song wouldn't exist. Good. I like that. I like that. That's a good answer. About 60% say, yes, she does. About 40% (laughs) says she doesn't. So it is not, it isn't a clear cut. Yeah. So that's good. Very nice. All right, Mike, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? The absolute best way, no question, is MikeyOp.com, M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Every single thing I do is on there. It's easy to find me, easy to find that page. And then there's a free subscription. It costs you nothing, and you'll get one email a week from me, which is my nonfiction essay and an ad for that week's podcast. I do have a premium subscription package for extra stuff, including a book. And then all my books can be found on the books tab on that website, which are on Amazon. And I do many things, and I love to do a lot, but I always, like you, just tell everyone, hey... It's okay to do whatever you want in life, but try to be kind. Just try. Yeah, absolutely. Go check out Mike's website. I will include the link in the website. Um, as we're recording, this should come out on March 23rd, which would mean he has a new book. It sounds fascinating. I can't wait to read it. Thank you, sir. Yes, I, w- you have already mentioned you would like to have me on the podcast. Oh, yeah, no, you're not, on. Yeah. I was going to blatantly drop my name saying, hey, if you want. Thank you, sir. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Let's be kind to each other. Let's be safe. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. I want to give a major shout out to the patrons of this podcast. They kick in a few dollars every month to help me with podcast expenses. I want to send a special love and thank you to Mary, Chris, Anna, Terry, Dale, Steve, Stephen, Levi, Betsy, John, Bella, Crystal, Rob, Randy, Steve, Fernando, and Yetta. Thank you all so much for all you do to help me. You are my angels. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, SetLustingBruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. 
I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. Gentlemen, it's been an honor. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.